you just tuned into the hippest way to start and grow your indie author career, learn the ins, the outs, and all the all-arounds of self-publishing with the team from D2D and their industry-influencing guests. You're listening to Self-Publishing Insiders with Draft2Digital. We're live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another rousing edition of Self-Publishing Insiders. I'm Jim Azevedo, and I'm the Corporate Communications Manager at Draft Digital. And today, it is my, it is our distinct pleasure to welcome best-selling author, Paul Austin Ardwan. Paul, welcome to the show. Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me. It's really great to be here. Appreciate the time. Oh, we're 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 excited to to be here uh, for a couple of reasons, and the, the the first reason is that you know I want to talk about a little bit about um, your your mysteries. So Paul is a best selling author of two mystery series, the Fenway Stevenson mysteries, of which there are ten books now. Paul, is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Yep. Okay, and then the Woodhead and Becker and Becker mysteries, and you've got two books there as well. Right. Correct. Okay. Right. And I, I just finished the first draft of the third one. Did you? All right. I did. Yep. Just this that, weekend. All right. Well, that's exciting. But the real reason we're here today is that we're going to talk about Paul's latest book and your first nonfiction book, From Zero to Four Figures, Making $1,000 a Month Self-Publishing Fiction. Now, this came out just, what, about a week ago. Is that right? Uh, yeah, on the 13th of June. Yeah, so, um, yeah, just a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Well, congratulations with yeah. that, getting that book out there. I want to... Thank you very much. Do, well, thank you for writing it and being here. What I normally do, Paul, um, before I really want to hop into this book, because I think the organization of the book and the material is is just fantastic. But what I typically do is I want to give a little bit of foundation to our discussion here, a little bit of background for our viewers to talk a little bit about you and how you got started. Because from what I understand, you were an aspiring novelist, an aspiring best-selling novelist at six years old. <laughs> well, nobody wants to be an aspired, fail, aspiring failed novelist, right? Oh. But yes, ever since I was six years old, I, uh, I have really thought of myself as a novelist. And um, the book gets into a, a little bit about uh, how uh, how I I had those dreams. I I I said, oh, I'm going to write a 12 book series about this, and I would hand draw the covers and and things like that. I majored in creative writing uh, at uh -huh. university, uh, and then you know life got in the way. Um, the university creative writing program really focused on literary fiction, and uh, one day I woke up and I was. Uh, pushing 40 and I had yet to write my novel. And, uh, uh, you know, it's hard to call yourself a novelist when you haven't finished a novel yet. Yeah. So, um, so I, I kind of rededicated myself to, uh, to becoming a novelist. Um, yep. And it took me uh, eight years to write that first Fenway Stevenson uh, novel. Yeah. Um, and a lot of help from, from NaNoWriMo uh, to get yep, that good. done. I, uh, I talk in the, in the book a little bit about how, uh, I had a Facebook post that I was like, I'm going to do NaNoWriMo this year. And, uh, and I wrote one chapter and that was it. And then seven years later, Facebook is like, hey, Paul, do you remember that on this day, seven years ago, you said you were going to write a novel? And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh no. For 
reminding me of my failed dreams. Right. Um, but but it was actually that that uh, that terrible reminder when I was like, you know, I really I really have to do it this time. Um, and I made a promise to myself. I said, what's going to be different this time? Because I've started novels and haven't finished them for, you know, 20 years. And well, even even when I was six years old, I w was yeah. writing novels and not finishing them. So what would I do differently this time? And it was a promise that I made to myself that I would actually finish the novel no matter what. Like, even if I got halfway into it and I was like, this is terrible. Uh, nobody's ever going to read this. I should give up. I wouldn't give up. I would just finish it because that's what my goal was to finish this novel. So, uh, so that's what I did. I actually got, I, I talk about how I got two thirds of the way through it, saw that I had a huge problem that ordinarily would have made me quit, mm. but I persevered because I had made that promise to that little pesky six-year-old kid inside of myself. Yeah. Um, uh, a, huge about that. So, with, so, a huge problem with the book itself, with the manuscript itself, you mean? Right, right. Yeah. So I, I, I talk about what that was. But in particular, it was okay. because my protagonist, Fenway Stevenson, she was coming across as whiny. Um, yeah. And I didn't think I didn't think anybody would uh, be on her side, much less be interested in reading uh, about the, the murder she'd have to solve with okay. this. I did find a way around it um, as as the book details. Um, I, I finished it and then I had to rewrite a very significant chunk of it. Um, but it was it was very satisfying when I was done because I mean, when I was done with that terrible first draft, yeah. I had never finished a novel before. So it was, it was a great sense of accomplishment. It's for a that. huge accomplishment. Yep. Fantastic. Yeah. But then the, the, the point of the book though, is yep. that, you know, we can all, many of, of us writers um, do have that huge accomplishment because 99.9% mm. .9 of the world never finishes a, a yeah. novel, never finishes a book. Mm -hmm. uh, but if we want to have a successful career, it's what do we do once we have finished that book? Right. Uh, do we put it in the bottom drawer and leave it there for 30 years? Or, uh, or do we work to try to get it to be the best it can be um, in terms of attracting a readership? And, and what do we do once we want to sell it? Right. Um, and, you know, and that's where, that's where I was. Um, I had a friend who had, who had published a, sort of a memoir style book and she mm -hmm. was making good money from it. And she turned me on to some of the podcasts like Joanna, Joanna Penn's podcast, the creative pen, uh, the self-publishing formula, which mm -hmm. became the self-publishing show and some of, and some of those. Uh, but a lot of the books that I was looking at were for people who were, who were either much further along than I, I was right. or that, yeah. that were specifically focusing on craft. And, you know, it was, it's really overwhelming to be like, okay, I have this book. What do I, what do I want to do with it? Maybe I want to sell it and everything out there be like, here's how you can get to a hundred thousand readers. Yeah. Here's how you can buy your yacht. Here's how you can buy a Caribbean Island. Um, when really. So overwhelming. Yeah. And how do I get people who are more than just my friends and family and coworkers to, to buy the book? So if this, if, if, uh, if this is you, or if you know somebody who, yep. who is in that boat, this is, is the, the audience that I wrote this, this book for. That's, Cause that's where, that's where I was at the beginning of my author journey. And if I had had somebody to tell me some of the things that, that I'm talking about in this book, um, I, I think I would have been a lot better off. And I also talk about all the mistakes that I made as well, because I made a ton of mistakes. Um, 
when when I came uh, when when I was not only writing the Fenway Stevenson mysteries, but yeah. when I was trying to expand beyond the Fenway Stevenson mysteries and see maybe there's another series of books here that I can that I can write. Maybe there's a maybe there's a spinoff book I can write about this. I talk about all the mistakes that that I made. Sure. And I think that's great. And it's quite generous of you too, because when we all, when we get started on our author careers, we just don't know what we don't know. Um, so one of the best ways to learn is by making those mistakes. Um, but thankfully you came along and said, Hey, here's all the mistakes that I made. Um, I want to share these with you. So you don't step in those same potholes that I stepped in. You know, there's a lot to unpack with this book. And I want our viewers to know that the organization of the book is phenomenal. Um, it's really good. And Paul, if you'll bear with me, I want to unpack. I want to go. I want to let folks know that it's it's organized in three sections. But right off the bat, in the introduction, I think it's the second sentence in your introduction. You say you state, "I've got two goals for you. The first goal is to help you get to one thousand dollars in profit, right? In profit a month." by selling your books. And the second goal is to how to set up your approach to book writing for success that will last you throughout your career. So there's nothing about, hey, we're going to do this thing and you're going to make $1,000 a month and that's it. Like these um, are evergreen best practices that you can use throughout your career. Now, yes, the, book right. is, the book is organized in three sections. Um, it is satisfying books is section number one. Section number two is effective marketing. And then section number three is putting it all together. So you're putting all of what you've talked about in the first two chapters together so that authors can take what they've learned from you, put together a plan and execute on that plan and even break it down per month. But with that first section, the, the satisfying books. Can you, can you start to dive into that, Paul, a bit? And tell us exactly what do you mean by satisfying books? You know, there are a lot of books that aspiring authors have, have seen and, and read that mm -hmm. don't seem like what their English teachers would call good books. Um, yeah. There are a lot of, of authors out there that have had major success. And, you know, you might read it as, as a reader and go, this is terrible. There's the characterizations terrible. Um, there are a couple of self-published authors I, I, I have read who are, are quite successful, who have grammatical errors throughout uh, their, their book. And you would think that, that those would not be successful. But what all of these books have in common is that they are satisfying their readers enough so that they're buying the next book in the series or usually the next book in the series or that they're telling their friends hey you really this is a really good book you, you should buy it so what our english teachers uh told us what our creative writing professors uh have, have mm -hmm. told us in terms of how we should write doesn't always match up with what is going to satisfy the person who picks up your book and it's also not going to overlap with what actually people will pay money for when they when they buy. Mm -hmm. And I go through through that a little bit, what uh, what people need in order to create satisfying books. Um, it, it's it's something about their characterization. It's something sure. about uh, about the plot. Um, and when uh, and it, it's it has to do a lot with the expectations of the genre that you're writing in. 
Okay. Uh, so many times creative writing professors talk about literary fiction and literary fiction is notoriously a little thin when it comes to uh, when it comes to plot, very heavy on characterization. And for people who like literary fiction, those are the expectations of that genre. But okay. if you're writing something else, sci-fi, fantasy, romance, mystery, um, uh, even memoir um, or narrative nonfiction, there are uh, beats in the story, there are tropes and there are characterizations that people who like these kinds of stories and will buy them and follow you from series to series or from book to book mm -hmm. as an author, there are things that they expect. And meeting those expectations and putting just enough of a twist on their expectation so that it's surprising yet not so far outside where they're like, wait a second, where did that come from? Yeah, That's the key to, to, writing, uh, to writing satisfying books. Now, I'm not suggesting that you litter your, um, uh, your book with grammatical errors or anything like that. I think <laughs> those people are, are successful in, uh, in spite of, sure. uh, of that. Because I also talk about you needing to make sure that your book is indistinguishable from a big five publishing house book if you're self-publishing. Absolutely. Uh, That's the you, advice we, we, we gave it as well. It's like, hey, if you're self-publishing, you need to understand that you are, in a sense, becoming a publisher. Your, your book has to be just as good, if not, if not better than some of those books that are coming out of, of New York. Right. And, and I talk about my failure with, with this, too. I had uh, my, my second series, the Woodhead and Becker series. It was called Murders of Substance. And I had this idea... I'm a kid of the eighties. I grew up, uh, I, I grew up listening to a lot of uh, electronic bands in the early eighties. There's this band called new order, which a lot of people have heard about. Uh, they produced some of the most influential dance tracks and, and, uh, and music in the early 1980s. Uh, they've got this compilation, uh, uh, compilation album called substance. Okay. And so murders of substance, it's this, it's this FBI style agency that focuses on, on poisoning murders. Uh, oh. And all the characters are named after band members of new order. And I've, uh, I named the, the, the first couple of books after the first two tracks on substance. And I thought oh. I was being like super clever and yeah, <laughs> well, people, the authors that I talked to absolutely love it. I, I talked to, uh, to uh, in one podcast interview, I, I had had this idea and I was telling the, the interviewer about it. He's like, oh, you've got to give this to me because I love mm -hmm. New Order. Well, turns out that I wasn't actually meeting my audience's expectations. Uh -uh. I mean, a lot of my audience um, was alive in the 1980s. But even if they were listening to New Order, what does that have to do with a hard-boiled murder mystery? Yeah. Um, okay. it, you know, they weren't getting the inside jokes. Even if they got them, they were like, "Yeah, okay. What what does that do for me? I'm 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 looking to 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 read a novel here yep. that has these beats for a hard boiled murder mystery. Mm -hmm. I mean, sure, it's it's kind of funny that you've got you know some new order, ha ha ha. But you know, let's let's get to the meat and potatoes of uh, of the book and 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 give me a satisfying murder mystery. Um, and I had forgotten that. Uh, uh, that now the the I think anyway and my reviews will will probably back me up on this those were satisfying murder mysteries but my marketing was terrible it ah. was uh, it duplicated the New Order substance cover which looks like a nonfiction book and doesn't look like a murder mystery and even when I had it re redesigned I had 
the there was a syringe that was the murder uh, weapon mm-hmm. in book one, and there was a, a gas mask features prominently in book two. So I had a syringe and a gas mask on the covers. Well, those look like fiction, at least they didn't look like like nonfiction, but they also look like post-apocalyptic thrillers, ah. not like hard-boiled murder mysteries. So I was just even with the Fenway Stevenson mysteries that I had been producing for two or three years, where, where I had been meeting those audience expectations with my, with my Woodhead and Becker series, it, everything I did was just off. My, my readers expected a mystery. I was giving them something that looked like a nonfiction book. Gotcha. Then I was giving them something that looked like a post-apocalyptic um, thriller. And that's just not a recipe for getting to $1,000 a month with your writing. True. Wow. So did you change that cover twice? Did I hear that correctly for the, for the Woodhead? Not only, not only did I change the cover twice, I wound up changing uh, the book titles and I wound up changing the whole name of the series. So it used to be Murders of Substance. Um, and I abandoned the whole cheeky new order thing. And uh, <laughs> it's now called the Wood, the Woodhead and Becker Mysteries. Because you know, looking at all of the successful murder mysteries out there, they're either named after the sleuths or they're named after the, after the location. There okay. are very few of them that are named anything else. So my Fenway Stevenson mysteries are named after the sleuth. Uh, there are a lot of, of, especially in the cozy world, there are a lot of ones that are like the Florida Keys mysteries or yep. something like that. Um, and those can be successful. Um, so the Woodhead and Becker series is is what I renamed it. And I renamed the books the something murder so the first one is the winterstone murder the second one is the bridegroom murder the third one that that i just wrote the uh um uh, uh, finalized the um mm-hmm. the first draft of is called the trailer park murder okay so much more in tune with hey this is a hard-boiled mystery i want my readers to know what they're going to get when they pick up the book when they look at the cover and when they read the blurb because okay. those are the those are the three things that are going to uh, really determine whether or not they click on that buy now or download now button and whether they go on to something else. Yeah. Two, two, um, really, you know, two, two really key points here I want to chime in on. And that is you went from a cover image that people didn't really have any clue about what the book was, if it was nonfiction or, or even fiction. So you've, you redid that completely. You set their expectations. You gave them a promise with that book cover image and book description, so they knew exactly um, what they were were, were, were getting. Um, but something else I want to key in on here is that I think for a lot of newer authors, you know, it takes us forever to get a book out because we think, well, gosh, if I if I go ahead and publish this book and it fails, it's career over. I blew it. There was my one chance. Oh my gosh, it, it it's over. But you're telling folks like, hey, no, it's not. You're a self-published author. And one of your key advantages to being a self-published author is control. Because as a self-published author, you're retaining 100% creative control. That means if you put your book out into the market and it's not flying off those store shelves as quickly as you thought it would, it's not game over. Your, your book isn't just some static object that's collecting dust uh, in the corner of a, of a brick and mortar bookstore somewhere. You can, as, as Paul mentioned, you can change the cover image. You can rewrite that book's description. You can rewrite the manuscript itself and put out um, a newer edition to match those reader expectations. 
And that's one of the great, that's one of the great things about being a self-published author. And I, I have a chapter actually about why I chose self-publishing over the traditional querying um, mm -hmm. methods. And this has a lot to do with it as well. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the tools that we use and uh, drafted digital's uh, tools are, uh, are part of this. Mm -hmm. It is super easy to change your, your cover image. It is super easy to change your blurb. Yeah. If you've put, if you've miscategorized your books because you thought uh, it was a, a romance and it turns out to be a romantic suspense novel uh -huh. instead, you can go in and change your BISAC categories. Right. Um, it's, it's fantastic. And the tools that Drafted Digital and, um, and some of the direct uh, sellers give you, it, it's very easy to, to do that. It's a lot easier than going to a traditional publisher and convincing them to change a typo in your book. Uh, never mind, yes. you know, the name of the series, uh, for example. It, it's not, you know, it's not a, a necessarily a an easy thing to do or a not time consuming thing to do because, sure. you know, going going through that process was painful. But those tools that Drafted Digital and, and other uh, vendors offer um, make it a possible and be a lot easier uh, than uh, than it would be otherwise. Well, thank you, Paul. I appreciate you mentioning that. Um, and it is true, the tools are getting better, they're getting easier to use, and they're getting faster as well. Can you talk a little bit about um, the cost of running your author business um, in conjunction with getting your manuscript ready to publish? Because I think some authors out there um, might have this preconceived notion that it, it costs thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, and other authors are getting, let's say, I don't want to say attacked, but they're getting, let's say they're getting approached by companies that are a bit more on the scammy side who are making these false promises of, you know, turning their books, guaranteeing that their books are going to become bestsellers or introducing them to Hollywood executives and that sort of thing. So can you, can you put some realistic expectations out there for our viewers and how much they're, they're, they're looking to spend and, and where, um, they should spend and maybe where they can kind of pull back a little bit on that. Yeah. And certainly for my first novel, uh, so I have a whole, a, a couple of chapters on, on this in the, in the, in the book. And I have a, um, a whole section of, uh, uh, of areas where, uh, where I didn't spend the money that I recommend that we spend. And I kind of paid for it um, because of that. Mm -hmm. um, once you have your, your novel in a form, you know, you've self-edited it and you're like, okay, I'm ready for other people to look at this now. Yep. I really recommend that you go through a, an editing process for, um, usually with three editors, uh, a, um, a developmental editor, a line copy editor and a proofreader. Um, now they can be expensive, especially if they've got New York times bestselling authors under them, their belt. But there also are people you can find who are just starting out. Um, maybe they're on their third or fourth book and they're, they're charging half a cent a word um, okay. instead of, you know, two cents a word like the, like the New York Times ones are. Um, now, I skimped a little bit on this. I combined the developmental and the line copy editor in my first okay. version. And I also picked an editor who uh, was not really a mystery um, editor um, and I wound up having to go through a different editor um, to, to do this, but uh, it was a lot better than if I had, you know, not done it at all. Um, mm. You also have to uh, find a cover designer or a pre-made cover that works 
for your book and is in genre and will match those readers, those readers expectations. Okay. Um, so, um, so that that's important and that will cost money as well. Okay. Now you can get pre-mades for $79 and $99. And if you can find one that works, uh, that's great. Um, you can find editors who are more expensive or less expensive. Um, and there are ways, and I actually have a whole chapter uh, in the book. If you don't have any money at all, if you don't have uh, $200 to spend on an editor or, or a cover designer, how can you do this um, on either a shoestring budget or no, or a no string budget? Right. Um, and, you know, you'll have to make some, some sacrifices uh, in this. Uh, there are a lot of times when, you really need a professional to, to look at it. And there are some authors who are definitely the exception who can self-edit their own work to a level of professionalism that is acceptable um, or who can design their own, their own covers, again, to a level uh, that's, uh, that's acceptable. But 99% of authors out there can't do either of those things and shouldn't, really shouldn't try. Yeah. Um, so... Completely agree. Um, so I, I go through the things you should look for in, in an editor that you, that you should work with, that you should look for in a cover designer or a cover design, um, and uh, and so the the readers will will get the the benefit of my experience with that. Okay, yeah, it kind of goes back to setting those reader expectations. You mentioned when you go to find a developmental editor and a book cover designer, try to find those designers, those book cover designers, and and an editor who is intimately familiar with your genre because they're going to be able to to catch things that your readers are expecting, that your readers are looking for. Yeah. Okay. Um, time's flying. <laughs> and that was, <laughs> we we got through some of the of the first section. There's a lot of information in your book. And I and there's I want to touch on everything. As I was going through your book, I'm highlighting stuff. And I, it was one of those situations where I like, I'm just going to bold the whole book or highlight the whole book here because seriously, everybody, it's there's that much um, really good information that you can lock in on. But if you don't mind, Paul, let's move on to section two. And section two of the book is effective marketing. Um, one of your points in this section was to consider that first book as an entry point. Uh, you call it an entry, was that right? The entry point book? And, and entry looking point at novel, that first yeah an introvert point novel and considering that book um, as an advertisement, but that book's my yeah. baby, Paul, it's not an advertisement. So what do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it really is, it really is a, a big mind shift. I mean, when my first Fenway Stevenson novel took me eight years to write. And so I wanted to make sure that everybody bought it at the highest price possible uh, and that I would mm -hmm. rock it up the bestseller charts and the next Paula Hawkins. Of course. And obviously that that's not going to happen. That's not a realistic expectation for yourself as a writer. Um, and so the 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 thing you have to to realize is uh, that that the first thing you want people to read out of the the books that you have, whether you have two books published or twenty books published, uh, is that's the thing that's going to get them to read the rest of your books. And I draw an analogy to you've been in Costco or a, a big box store or a, a grocery store yep. where they have food samples out and Hey, there's a pizza roll here. Hey, there's a bagel bite. Hey, there's uh, there's a little shot of uh, shot of mango juice. Yep. Um, and there are people there who are giving 
this to you free. And the mm -hmm. idea is you will love this so much that you go in and you buy that whole bag of pizza rolls or you buy the whole bottle of mango juice. Yep. And thinking about your entry point novel, the first thing that you want people to read as that little taste of your writing mm -hmm. that will get people to buy the rest of your books. That's the mind shift, the mindset shift that I'm yeah. hoping people can can get to this. Uh, because they don't, people don't really care that you've spent eight years of your life writing <laughs> that first book and that you put blood, sweat and tears and yeah. anger and anguish and, um, uh, and all of that stuff in, in a piece of your soul. Into it. Right. And, and what they, they want to be entertained. Right. I also talk a, a lot about the process that book buyers go through when they don't have anything to read. And I think we've all been there, right? We, we get to like, I know we have, we all have a stack of books on our bedside table, yep. uh, but, but we look at those and we're like, I don't want to read any of those. I want, but I don't have anything to read. What do I do? And so you'll uh, go to a bookstore or you or you'll look through, um, you know, your favorite book retailers website and you will start to search for what to read. Mm -hmm. And it's the book cover and it's the blurb and it's the, um, and, and it's the, the book de description and, and, you know, maybe the look inside section, which will, which will convince you that not only can I spend some money on this book, mm -hmm. but also that I'm not going to waste five to 10 hours of my life on something that I want to throw across right. the room uh, halfway through. Um, and that is, you know, a lot of people are like, well, a book doesn't, you know, an ebook doesn't even cost as much as a, as a coffee does, but, the co coffee is making a different promise, right? It's giving you a shot of energy. It's something that, you know, it's, it's, it's quenching your thirst or it's filling you up or, or something. There's a promise that they're getting for that $5 cup of coffee. Yep. And they're not dedicating five to 10 hours of their undivided attention to the coffee, right? right. It's not something that requires, that requires a time investment from, from them. I mean, maybe if the line's really long at Starbucks, <laughs> but other than that, uh, other than that, it, it's it's not something they have to invest in. Yeah, but a book not... is something that, that people have to invest in, and they have to trust you as the writer that you're going to take them on a journey in that five to ten hours that's going to be worthwhile and is going to make them feel better about themselves at the yeah. end of that journey. Absolutely, and that trust begins at the very moment they first see your book cover image uh, sitting on that virtual store shelf or on that brick and mortar, a physical store shelf. You're guiding them along right. and you're building that trust with them every step of the way. And if, if you're right. talented enough to hold their attention and interest and intrigue throughout the end of that book, chances are they're delighted that they've discovered you as a new author. So do you recommend, Paul, at the end of your books, you know, you know, listing out also buys um, at the end of that book? Or do you provide like a, a free chapter or just some kind of a... Um, not, not necessarily a giveaway, but a taste of like, say, book two or book three to keep them on that train with you. So in your entry point novel, I definitely recommend doing something like like this. So not just on the next page, mm -hmm. in fact, not on the next page, because so often um, if you're reading on uh, a Kindle or a Kobo e-reader or something like that, um, you will get or, you know, your iPad app, you will get to the last page. And then the next page will not be the about the author or also by uh, uh, page. It will be 
hey, did you enjoy this book? Rate it now. And here are other books you might like from the, the e-retailer where you bought that book. So on that page of your, uh, again, of your entry point novel, right after the end of the book, it should say, if you enjoyed this book, here's the link to buy book two in the series or buy the next, if you're a standalone author, buy the next book that you think will, will be the next. Or uh, read on for uh, uh, the first chapter in book two, uh, The Incumbent Coroner. Um, and that's, that's what I do with, um, with my book one. I have the, uh, the first couple of chapters of book two mm-hmm. immediately start after the end of, of, of book one. Um, so that by and then at the end of of those pages, which which look like um, which look like part of the book, which are not part of the end matter, um, then it says, "Want to read more? Click here," and then they get a link to buy book two. Okay, perfect. There are it sounds a lot. Like... There... Go ahead, Paul. I'm sorry. I was going to say uh, so that there, I was going <laughs> to <laughs> you you you're there, the guest. <laughs> there there are a lot of. Uh, book marketing experts out there who think that um, the reader magnet should be a short story or um, a novella or uh, something unrelated, a side quest or something like that. And for certain uh, genres, those can work. But in my experience, readers who buy novels, they don't really want short, short books. They don't really want short stories. They don't really want short side quests. They want Full novels, and if you can give them, if that entry point novel to you isn't a five-page reader magnet, uh, but is instead a two hundred and fifty-page novel, or a three hundred and fifty-page novel, depending on the the uh, mm-hmm. the genre you write in, I truly believe that's going to be the most effective thing you you can do uh, is is promoting that entry point novel, just like it, just like the sample uh, uh, pizza roll. Um, okay, I'm, I'm going to bring up this comment, and I think you just answered it, so it seems appropriate. So Jennifer Perkins asks, and thanks, Jennifer, for the question, if you have a must-do for newer authors, what is the one thing you would tell us to start out with regarding marketing? So for newer authors, I, I'm going to assume that you have one or two, one or two books out, and hopefully two, two books out, because it's difficult to promote one book and send your readers to nothing that you have, which is why so many, why there's so big on on reader magnets, I think. Um, What I would do is I would sign up with a a marketing company like Book Funnel or Story Origin. So you can still sell that book one on on the e-retailers, but you can also give away that book one as a, uh, in in exchange for an email address, a newsletter sign up. Because your newsletter sign up, first of all, it's something that you own. You don't own Facebook. You don't own Twitter. You don't own Instagram. You don't own TikTok. If, if those go away tomorrow or if you're kicked off the platform and you, you're engaging with hundreds or thousands of readers on there, you've just lost the way to communicate with, with them. Figure out a, a way to 100%. get those readers who, uh, who might be interested in buying the stuff that you write. Um, into your newsletter group, so so that you own their contact information, you know how to how to uh, to reach them. So the the first thing I would do is is get something on on Book Funnel or Story Origin. Uh, I'm signed up with both, but I I started with Book Funnel first. 
Um, and I went from having my mom and my cousin and uh, her dog on my mailing list uh, <laughs> to having to having 1,600 people on my mailing list in six weeks. And I only had two books out at the time. I had The Reluctant Coroner, which is my entry point novel, and book two in that series. Um, and I and I got 1,600 people there, and people started to buy book two uh, from from that because they liked book one. Now it's a lot easier to sell. Um, a series when you've got three plus, some people say four plus books yeah. in, in your series, but there are still going to be the people who, who will follow you to that second that second book if you've only got two out. Paul, uh, for for newer authors, let's say uh, I'm an aspiring author and I've I've got my first book done and I'm really antsy to, to get it out there and release. Should I wait? Should I wait until I've got maybe three to five books ready to go, or can I go ahead and put book one out there if i'm still working on I, on book two i don't think there's any reason not to self-publish your okay. your debut novel um there uh, many people have friends and family and co-workers and um and, and other people in their lives who will be happy to support you and buy your your book now okay. i knew i i knew maybe i had an opportunity to make it as a as an author when I had people, uh, my friends and coworkers say, you know, I bought your book because I'm your friend or I'm your coworker, but I started reading it and it's actually good. And, you know, part, part of it is, you know, are they, are they insulting me by saying that they didn't think the book would be good, <laughs> but I chose to say, well, no, they, they actually didn't think the book would be good. And I'm exceeding their expectations on, on this. And they might be, they might read, um, my, my next book, the, the cousin and her dog, who uh, I <laughs> mentioned were uh, numbers two and three on my mailing list. Uh, she is one of my biggest fans. She uh, the buys or the everything. Dog? The co- <laughs> uh, maybe both. Uh, uh, but Let's definitely count. the definitely the cousin. Yeah, um, is uh, is one of my biggest fans and tells her friends that they should read the Fenway Stevenson mysteries and everything like that. Okay. So there's no reason not to get that, but you don't want to promote your books until you have it. I would say three books out there, but I know the temptation to really sure. start selling stuff. So if you have two books, you, you can, yeah, you're okay with print. Just lower your expectations when you right. Promote. Okay. I like that. Um, I definitely want to get to section three of, um, of the book here and gosh, it's going by so fast. I knew this was going to happen to us. But can you spend a minute talking about um, pricing, striking that, that strategy and balance as you're just beginning to get your, your books out there? Because you mentioned earlier that um, I don't know if it was, you know, what you were thinking about doing before you published, but you, I don't know if you actually priced higher with that first novel, with your very first novel, or you were just thinking about doing that. What, what do you suggest for newer authors when it comes to book pricing? So if you have, so there are a couple things. First of all, okay. uh, anything above uh, in U.S. pricing, uh, anything at two ninety nine or above is going to give you sixty five or seventy percent of the sale, depending on the e retailer. Um, and uh, anything lower than royalty. that will get you as your royalty, right? So you get about two dollars and four cents from Amazon, for for example. Um, if you are lower than that, you get thirty five or forty percent usually about thirty five percent of of that so if you've got a ninety nine cent book out there you're only making thirty four cents 
So the difference between you know two dollars uh, two dollars and and four cents and thirty four cents, you have to sell six or seven uh, books at ninety nine cents to make the money that you would on um, on one two ninety nine. So if you've only got one book out there, I don't really recommend selling it for ninety nine cents. Um, if you have a, a if you want people to go to your second and third book. Maybe you can start talking about 99 cents then because it's it's sort of like you want to get it in those those people's hands so that they'll buy book two and getting it in six times the number of readers hands um, might be a better um, and more lucrative uh, pricing uh, option for you. Now, when I had uh, two books out, I sold the first book for two ninety nine. I sold the second book for four ninety nine um, and I put that two ninety nine book. I was a wide author at the time, so I didn't have to deal with the KU rules and regulations. Mm-hmm. Um, I, um, I I had that two ninety nine book that I gave away on Book Funnel and Story Origin in exchange for the emailing the email address because it was worth it to me to be able to send an email out when I had the book book three done and when I had book four done and book five and et cetera et cetera, and when I had my Woodhead and Becker series come out. Okay, um, so. Um, so in terms of, of pricing, that's something that you have to take into consideration. But you also have to be open to experimentation because sure. even within genres and subgenres, there are going to be books that people will snap up at 99 cents <clears throat> that they will leave alone at 299 and vice versa. And vice versa. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so there's, you know, selling a book at 699 versus 499. Um, there have been studies done a couple of years ago now that say there isn't a big, uh, there isn't a big drop in unit sales between 399 and 499, but there's a huge drop in unit sales between 499 and 699. So that's one of the reasons why I price at 499 instead of 399 or, or, or lower. Um, but when you have a long series, you can afford to give that first book away. Free first in series, FFIS, is a marketing strategy that has been around for a very long time um, for with, with indie authors. Yeah. That it, Now that I have, when I had five books in my series, that's what I started to use. And I saw that I could get those free books, that free sample at, at Costco of that pizza roll, out into literally thousands and thousands and thousands of readers' yeah. hands and um, and I determined that there was a, a, a significant percentage uh, of those people just wanted the free book, but there was a, a good percentage of those people who not only bought book two but bought the rest of that series as well. And that uh, and not only that, unlike Costco and your pizza roll, you're not paying uh, every time your free book is distributed. Right. There's no cost associated with that. You don't have to hire somebody to sit at a folding table in Costco and uh and pay them 15 dollars an hour to to do that and uh, the microwave that they have to reheat the the pizza rolls you're giving them a taste and pulling them in let them know what what else is out there and you're doing it for really no cost to you now if you you know advertise that then that advertising has a has a cost associated with it but again it's it's negligible compared to you know what the pizza roll company needs to put together for that uh for that uh, promotion at costco Right. Okay. Um, let's let's shift gears. We got about no oh, three minutes left. Um, okay. The third section of the book, everybody, is called "Putting It All Together." So we're taking everything that Paul has talked about here for the first two sections of the book, and the third section of the book is is a plan and how you can execute all of this. Um, he even breaks it down by the month. Now, 
what I love about your book, Paul, is that you're not talking about going from zero to a thousand dollars a month in profit, you know, and doing it within the next two weeks. You're telling folks, hey, I'm I'm going to set your expectations realistically. This could take you a year. This could take you two years. This could take you three years. Um, because of several factors, your pace of writing, how many books that you're publishing, and, and so on. Um, and the first chapter in that section of putting it all together is prioritizing. Can you talk a little bit um, about that in the last couple of minutes here? Like how can you prioritize what you're doing from day in and day out as an author to help you achieve this level of success? I mean, simply simply put, it's walking before you run and and staying within your budget. I'm not advocating that you spend thousands of dollars on ads mm -hmm. that you you know that that aren't budgeted within within your book sales. Um, I'm talking about doing things like book funnel and story origin and signing up for uh, a mailing um, an email uh, service mm -hmm. like MailerLite or Mailchimp um, that doesn't cost anything. Uh, when you don't have a whole lot of subscribers uh, there. Uh, and then once you get to a place where you're starting to see your sales ramp up, then adding on to that with some inexpensive promos and then maybe some more expensive promos. And then after you do hit that $1,000 is when I think it's appropriate to start uh, spending money on advertising. Um, so the, the prioritization uh, of that, and you've got to make sure that your book's are meeting your reader's expectations first. That's, that is your first priority for this because okay. I, I talk about this, you can, market, um, you can market a bad book, but it's not gonna sell. Um, and there's nothing more frustrating than putting hundreds of dollars into a marketing campaign that doesn't, um, that doesn't move product because the product isn't good enough to, to meet consumer okay. expectations uh, on this. Okay, I want to throw up a question here uh, because I want to make sure that um, that we're clear here from from RC. When we were talking about series starters and pricing series starters, um, he, he his comment is that that is a little circular. Is a loss leader at zero or ninety nine cents or not? What do you think? So so every author's journey is going to be different. Um, there uh, and and I think you have to be open to experimentation on this. Um, a lot of it depends on is, is genre dependent. A lot of it, it it depends on within that genre what types of readers uh, you you get, what their um, what what they look like if they're younger or older, mm -hmm. um, from uh, from what socioeconomic background, etc. Um, I tried. Uh, I, I sold my first book at two ninety nine for a very long time. Uh, for a while, I priced it at ninety nine cents, and I did not see the kind of movement that. Um, that encouraged me to keep it at 99 cents. So I went back to 299. Um, but then when I had five books in my series, I decided to uh, drop it down to free and try promotions um, with that free first in series. And that wound up being very successful. Now, there are a lot of authors I have heard, of, heard that say the free first in series does not work for them. They, some of them, are able to keep their first book at two ninety nine and sell the rest of their. That's it for this week's self publishing higher. insiders. They are draft to digital. Be I don't sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and share the show but with your wealthy author friends. And start, build, and grow your own self publishing career right now at drafttodigital.com. Make sure you're doing what works for you. Don't read this book and go, well, I've got something that works for me, but Paul says I should be doing this instead. <laughs> right. No, if it. If it works for you, you might be the exception to the rule 
uh, here, but there really aren't any rules. There are guidelines here and there is really what has worked in my experience that, um, that I'm sharing in, in the book. And, and again, every author's journey is, is different. Every audience is, is going to be different. And my hard-boiled mystery audience is probably not going to look like your sci-fi audience or your uh, gotcha. YA fantasy audience or your romance audience. Makes perfect sense. Paul, if, if folks want to reach out to you or find you online, is the best place to send them to your website or Facebook? Yes, or paulaustinardwan.com is is the best place uh, for that. Yep, right there. Okay, just happen to have it ready. <laughs> How about, <laughs> can we send them also to Facebook and Twitter as well? Or is it, there's the website? Uh, the sure. Uh, the website's the best place, and I have Facebook and Twitter links uh, on there. Okay. My Twitter handle is Paul Paul Arjuan, and my Facebook handle is Paul Arjuan Author. Okay, there's Twitter, and here's Facebook. And folks, I want to yeah. remind you that this is what we were talking about today. We're coming up to our last few seconds here, but here's the book that we were talking about. Let me let me get rid of that. So, this is what we were talking about today: from zero to four figures by Paul Austin Arjuan. You can find it on Paul's website. And as we always do, we're going to end today with a, a quick little 30-second spot for D2D print. Um, but before we do that, I want to remind you, if you would um, please like, share, comment, and subscribe. Uh, when you do these things, especially the sharing and the subscribing, it helps us reach more viewers and it helps us to attract more awesome guests like Paul to the show here. Also, be sure to bookmark dddlive.com so each week you can, be, um, you can be kept in the loop. You can be given a heads up of what topic and what guests will be coming up in the following week. And finally, if you are a newer author or an aspiring author who doesn't yet have an account at Draft2Digital, why not sign up today for your free account at Draft2Digital.com. To Paul, I want to thank you again for joining us here today. Um, you have you had a ton of information that was is so very, very useful. Uh, to our viewers, thank you all for being here. The show would not be possible without you. Uh, be sure to go out and get Paul's book today and stick around for the next 30 seconds as we show you our DDD print commercial voiced by our own Kevin Tumlinson. Thanks, everybody. Be sure to hang out, Paul. See you in a bit. See you next week, everybody. Ebooks are great, but there's just something about having your words in print. Something you can hold in your hands, put on a shelf, sign for a reader. That's why we created D2D Print, a print-on-demand service that was built for you. We have free, beautiful templates to give your book a pro look, and we can even convert your ebook cover into a full wraparound cover for print. So many options for you and your books. And you can get started right now at draft2digital.com.